0: You feel your phone buzz, you look down, and it's a message telling you that a delivery is coming, or you failed to pay a bill. Here, click on the link. But there's something about this message that isn't quite right. Yes, this week on Download This Show, thousands of Australians have been getting scam messages over the last few months, but where are they all coming from? what's being done about it. Plus, YouTube takes on anti-vaxxers, Trump is suing for access to his Twitter, and Facebook's whistleblower goes public. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. My name is Mark Fennell, and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show and a very big welcome to the show, Canal Calro, founder and CEO of Eugene. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be back. And uh, for the first time on Download This Show, uh, one of the hosts of Queens of the Drone Age, Amanda Yo. Welcome to Download This Show. Hello.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Right now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, (laughs) millions of people around the country have been getting sort of scam text messages. And it's become really quite overwhelming. I I, I go through a week now where I get like a dozen of them. The question is, where are they coming from? Do we know where they're coming from, Kunal?
2: Yeah, so... I guess it's the internet. So usually the (laughs) it's coming from (laughs) the internet. It's coming from the internet. So we use our phone numbers in so many places. We sign up for apps and services, online competitions, forms, and everything like that. And we don't know who these people are selling our personal data to. So third-party data providers often sell a bank of phone numbers. So if you've ever put your phone number anywhere on the internet, they could have easily gotten access to your phone numbers. So is there a sense of how people are being targeted, Amanda?
1: Well, what they'll do is they'll typically call or text you and pretend to be from a well-known business or organisation like Amazon or Telstra Australia Post. I've even gotten the Australian border force a couple of times. Really? Um, yeah. So there'll be business names that you'll likely recognise. And what they'll do is, well, it depends on who they're pretending to be. So what they say varies. But they'll typically say things like they have a package for you that they can't release until you pay them, or that you're in some sort of legal trouble and you could go to jail if you don't contact them immediately. So they'll try to create a sense of urgency to make you panic and then quickly hand over your information before you can get suspicious. Right, right. And
0: so this might be a silly question, but is there a sense of what actually happens when you do click on those links? I say when, what I should be saying is if, because you shouldn't click on those links. But like, what would happen (laughs) if you did click on those links, Amanda?
1: Well, sometimes they'll get you to, again, it varies depending on the scammer, but sometimes they'll try to get you to download a program that might go into your computer and keep track of all of your information and that's how they'll scam you. Or they might try to send you to a website that looks legitimate but isn't and they'll get you to put in your credit card details or your personal details or whatever there and that's how they get the information. Can is it...
0: Stopable because I, you know, every time one of these calls comes through, you can block it. But is there any effort to kind of get it at the root of the issue?
2: Yeah. So the ACMA introduced new rules in December that required telcos to detect, trace, and also block these spam calls. And you know, you know, in the first quarter of this year, they blocked fifty-five million calls. That's just the first quarter of the year. So it's actually a huge amount of calls that were blocked at the at the source. But it's not a silver bullet. So we still have to be vigilant as individuals responsible for our own personal data and uh, banking data and things like that and ultimately it's up to us to make sure that we keep our information out of hands of bad actors so i would say it's it's a lot of it is about education for people to understand how to see and predict if things are going to be things might be a scam or not and also talk to people who might know that information
0: but at the same time, though, like increasingly, you're needing to put your phone number in different online services as part of like two-factor authentication, where you like you you log in with a an email address, and then they also ask for your phone number to send you, you know, a text message. Like it's it's getting harder and harder, Canal, to not have your
2: mobile phone uploaded somewhere on the internet. That's definitely true. So I guess you limit the damage as much as you can by trying to reduce the. I guess like the places where you have your phone number. So, for example, if you're signing up for a service and you trust the service, if they have your phone number and it's a choice that you're making, it makes sense. But if you come across some online competition that's like completely random for a free trip to Hawaii in the middle of a pandemic, maybe don't put your phone number on that. <laughs> yes, right? But, but uh, what if I do want to go to Hawaii? I real. <laughs> <laughs> really want to go to Hawaii, you know.
0: I know, me too. Amanda, do we know why there's been so many of these? so recently? Because it feels like there's been a pretty sharp influx in the last few months.
1: Yeah, there has been a dramatic increase just during the pandemic. I don't know exactly why there's been this increase. However... A lot more people have likely been falling for it because they're isolated, because we're all in lockdown. They don't have family members they can bounce ideas off or just talk to and realize, hey, that's a bit strange, this call I got that told me to log on to this weird website and put in all my personal info. So people who are more vulnerable are more likely to fall for it right now.
2: Yeah, I definitely second that. I think that there's this idea that as soon as you hear someone say, that sounds like a scam, your alarm bells are internally ringing, but sometimes you need that outside party to kind of bring that up. And also, when we think about some of the vulnerable groups, uh, especially older folks who maybe not be as well-versed with technology, and this is the thing that I tell my mom all the time, right? Never click a link or a text in an email. If you're not sure, ask someone you trust. If that person is not near you and suddenly that feels like a chore or you have to like message someone on. WhatsApp or Messenger to see if it's okay to click a link. That just sort of adds another barrier to entry. And I feel like people are just clicking on these links because they couldn't be bothered having to do the whole like messaging thing to find out if it's okay or not.
1: Yeah, my mum actually recently signed up to a lottery, the million dollar vax lottery. You get vaccinated, you can go in for a chance to win a million dollars. And she actually saw it on the news. So It was legit. It was fine. But you go to the page and it looks kind of sus. She sent it to my sister being like, oh, sign up. It's good. And my sister took one look at it and was like, mom, are are you sure? Are you sure this is legit? Because this is the type of thing that could very easily trick my mum or trick any of our parents or trick ourselves because she didn't have that initial person to bounce off.
0: Is there any um, advice you think people should carry with them?
1: I'd say be sceptical, double-check everything, and it's not urgent. If someone calls you up and says, you have to give us your information right now, that's suspicious. It shouldn't be urgent.
2: Back that up, and I'd say that if you're not sure, hang up the phone and go find the actual number for whoever's calling you, whether it's Amazon, uh, NAB, whatever, Combank, find the number and call them directly. Try not to give you information if someone is calling you, because that way you can protect yourself from accidentally giving your information to a scammer. And if it is a legitimate thing, they'll still have that information when you call them back.
0: All right. Download the show it is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guests this week, Amanda Yeo and Canal Calro. Mark Fennell is my name. And YouTube have said it will remove content that spreads misinformation about all approved vaccines. I mean, I can't possibly imagine, Canal why they would be doing this, but exactly what are we going to see change on the service off the back of this announcement?
2: Yeah, so they've actually been managing a whole lot of medical misinformation in the uh, content in the past, especially as it relates to COVID-19, and this will now expand to all anti-vaxxer content. So they're going to ban accounts, they're going to remove content, and all of this is in an effort to combat some serious misinformation and false claims being made about vaccines. And... I think this is fantastic, obviously. I work in healthcare. And uh, a lot of this COVID-19 misinformation has been spilling over into general vaccine misinformation. So it kind of makes sense that it will be hard to tackle one thing without addressing the broader issue. Are they doing enough, Amanda?
1: Look, it's good that they're doing something, but when has YouTube ever done enough? (laughs) Like it's been around for years and it's constantly having these issues with moderation and radicalization on the platform and just bad stuff on there and it for me it's kind of like why did it take you so long to come to this stance cuz anti-vax stuff it was around long before covid so why only now are you doing something
2: So they have removed over 130,000 videos relating to misinformation around specifically the COVID-19 vaccine since last year. This particular stance is now about expanding that to all misinformation about vaccines. So I think that you're right, that like, that experience where they decided during the COVID-19 pandemic that accurate information is actually really important for the public health and public interest. I don't know why it took them that long to get to that conclusion. But now that we're here, they're taking a stance to expand that to other uh, misinformation about healthcare too. And I think it's a good thing. Could it have been done sooner? Yes, but better late than never is how I'm thinking about it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, look for those silver linings.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's me, that's me. (laughs) Has there been a
0: backlash, Amanda, like from the anti-vax community?
1: Of course. I mean, anytime a social media platform or a big website comes out and changes its moderation guides, obviously the people who are being moderated are going to be unhappy. But honestly, I kind of don't care. (laughs) If your platform is spreading dangerous misinformation and you have the power to stop that or mitigate it or halt it in some way, I feel like you have an obligation to do so. And yes, that will make the people spreading the dangerous misinformation upset, but you are also stopping the spread of dangerous misinformation, which I feel like that kind of outweighs the people being upset. Anytime you ban an ideological group from a platform they will feel persecuted, that will make them feel more righteous and feel as though I know something that people are trying to silence me about. It's really important and it might solidify their beliefs. However, by removing them from that platform, you're also removing them from reaching other people who might not already have those ideas. So it's stopping it from spreading as to whether it will change Any of those people's minds. I mean, the people who are anti-vax, who are banned. I really can't say, I don't think banning them outright will make people be like, oh, maybe they have a point, maybe I need to rethink this. But it does stop them from spreading to others.
2: Yeah, look, I think all of those things are true. So in this case, they've only removed the accounts of about 12 people who have been spreading the largest majority of misinformation, whether that's because they're misinformed or whether that's because they're willfully spreading disinformation about vaccines. I think those people should absolutely be removed. I think it's probably true that it'll only cement their position, but at least they don't have a mouthpiece and a platform anymore to share that information. They might end up in areas uh, or platforms where some of these extreme views are nurtured, shall we say. But that's like, that's like a separate thing. I think that still generally what, I, what it does is takes it away from the larger portion of the population that may have legitimate questions about the vaccine, but are being fed these lies, essentially. And they can make up their mind in a way that is either useful or practical, considering the current circumstance.
1: I think that any time a idea or an ideological group gets banned from a social media platform, there will be people who cry, this is a denial of my right to free speech, you can't censor me, so on and so forth. I think it's important to remember that YouTube is a private company. The right to free speech only protects from the government censoring your speech or stopping you from saying something. A private company can moderate its content, and that's what they're doing.
0: Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. Our guests this week: Amanda Yo, uh, one of the hosts of the Queens of the Drone Age podcast, and Canal Calro, the founder and CEO at Eugene and uh, Facebook. Have had a pretty, I want to say, rough week. A whistleblower has gone public in the United States uh, as revealing herself to be behind an enormous cache of Facebook documents, and it paints Canal. Not a great picture, kind of writ large, but there was a particular focus on the work that Facebook has, and I guess to be more honest, has not done around tackling hate speech. What have the allegations been? So
2: no silver linings here from me. And uh, I'm actually (laughs) particularly uh, troubled by these allegations. Uh, And essentially the allegations are that despite being apparently the best in the world at being able to action hate speech on their platform, They action as little as 3 to 5% of the hate and less than 0.6% of the violence and incitement that happens on Facebook. And another document was even clearer, and this is an actual quote because I could not believe this to be true. We have evidence from a variety of sources that hate speech, divisive political speech, and misinformation on Facebook and the family of apps are affecting societies around the world. A more damning statement could not have been said, and it was said in an internal document at Facebook.
0: Right. Was there anything about... I know this sounds terrible, Amanda, but was there anything about the allegations that were made that surprised you?
1: I don't think anyone was surprised. I think everyone knows that Facebook is not great for societal harmony, but it's still upsetting to hear how little Facebook is doing to combat it.
2: Not surprising i feel like this is standard facebook right this is the this is what they told us in 2018 that ah after the whole trump election situation we're gonna do better we're gonna try to change things we care about people's well-being and of course it turns out they don't and they care about making a profit because we are the product really i i'm not surprised to be honest not at all
0: that being said canal facebook has sort of come out and issued a fairly robust defense. What has been their argument in face of these allegations?
2: Yeah, so it's a textbook Facebook defense, right? Like the first thing they'll do is they'll call it a platform. They'll say, they said, we're a platform. We don't control what people say. This is just what humanity is like. Don't blame us. The second thing they'll say is to diminish the problem. So in this case, they were talking about uh, preteens using Instagram and the impact it has on them and. The words that they were using was all about diminishing the problem. So they said, some girls, some of the time, if they're already feeling bad about themselves, some of the time are going to feel a little bit worse. So it's all about making that problem a little bit smaller. And then they'll announce minor features that will not address the actual problem. So they'll talk about, you know, giving parents more control over kids, what kids will see and things like that. Rinse, repeat is the same thing they did in 2018. With the whole situation around hate speech. They called it a platform. They diminished the problem by saying, you know, it's some people, some of the time, that are spreading violent information on, the, uh, on, on our platforms. It's really not everyone, but it's also not surprising because hate exists in humanity. And then they'll announce these minor features, which in this case was the algorithm that they've talked about making better engagement and you know, improving well being amongst their users that don't actually solve the problem and then they rinse and repeat. To me, all of their defenses are textbook Facebook. They always do this and we keep letting them off the hook.
1: The interesting thing is that in 2018, Facebook, as you mentioned, they changed the algorithm to prioritize posts, which I quote, spark conversations and meaningful interactions between people. And they characterize this as this really positive thing. Are oh, you gonna be hearing more from your friends and your family as opposed to brands? But this change to the algorithm basically surfaced posts that people were more likely to engage with, so more likely to like or comment or share. And the posts that people are more likely to engage with tend to be divisive ones, ones that incite hate or fear or have people arguing. And that's what these new documents that have been revealed reveal, basically, that Facebook knows that this type of content is what drives engagement, but they push it anyway.
0: So in terms of the, the defence that was put out, and, and it, they were quite loud in, in their defence, I think they recognised just how damaging this is. Was there any part of their their argument in response that you think is reasonable, that you think is, is worth noting, Amanda?
1: Well, in terms of the Instagram allegations, which was basically that Instagram makes the mental health of teens worse, it was interesting in that they were like, oh, all of these studies, they were internal, they were incomplete, they were entirely for our own, our own reference. And if you look at the methodology of the studies, it is quite shaky. But I think that doesn't really matter to most people because it's just reaffirming something that everyone knew. So whether or not the studies were scientifically sound, I don't think people really care.
2: Mm. You know what? I'll be honest. I've been on the other side of this. I, I have agreed with Facebook's argument in the past, especially around the construct of these behaviors do exist outside of Facebook, right? So whether it's hate, whether it's feeling of inadequacy, whatever it is that's being amplified on Facebook or on Facebook's apps do exist outside of Facebook. And so it makes sense that that is an argument that Facebook is making that, hey, it's not our fault that these behaviors exist within the construct of humanity and you know we're we're just we're like a platform and the whole platform argument makes sense when you think about the fact that the platform is just a place where humans are still going to be human so i get that part I think the part that I don't get, or the part that I don't agree with, is that this idea that Facebook is not amplifying it. If Facebook was purely a platform where these things played out in the way that they play out in our day-to-day lives, I would actually be in support of Facebook's defense. But what Facebook is doing, and internal documents are showing this, is that it's amplifying these feelings. It's not mitigating it, it's not reducing it, and any efforts that they're making towards doing that are woefully inadequate. And the other thing that's quite clear is that it is causing an impact on societies around the world. So for me, their defense falls on deaf ears, even though I agree with the original premise that these are behaviors that do exist within our society and societal construct.
1: Yeah, the defense isn't really a defense because if you're showing people hateful things just because that's what people comment on the most, you're you're still showing them hateful things. And the more time people spend on Facebook arguing, fighting, sharing links about this terrible thing that happened, that's more time they're spending on Facebook as opposed to logging off.
0: What happens next, Canal? Like, what would you like to see change?
2: Okay, well, so this is a bit of a pipe dream, I guess, in terms of what I would like to see change. Uh, I think probably a more realistic interpretation of how this will actually play out is more likely to be the scenario that does play out. But what I would love to see is a world that is driving towards a much more conscious capitalist route, right? Uh, There is a social responsibility for companies to take around the products that they create and it's not just about profit and loss, and it's not just about shareholder value in a pure financial sense, but it's also about stakeholder value for the communities that we live in, for the world that we live in, for the environment, and yeah, just like our planet at large. That is where I would like for us to be. So if Facebook's reporting, financial reporting, and stock price was based on something more than that, just like you know their profit and loss statement, then that world would mean that we'd be able to self-regulate our own products and our own activities as organizations to make sure that they're in line with the world that we want to live in. That is what I'd love to see. But realistically, what's more likely to happen is that there's going to be some sort of tobacco-style legislation trying to regulate Facebook's activities because they've clearly shown that they're not able to do it themselves.
1: I can't think of any quick, easy, permanent solution to any of this. I think that Yes, it would be great if we all held hands as a society and were like kumbaya about it and were like, <laughs> oh, peace to everyone. Let's all be nice to each other. That's not going to happen. I think that Facebook is a company and a company's main interest is to make money and it will step on people along the way. And we can do as much as we can to stop that, to mitigate it, to legislate and such. But it's not a problem with. A good and easy solution, unless we all just hive mind and turn into like peace loving, (laughs) some sort of some sort of like communal like I don't know.
0: (laughs) We'll join the 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 hippie commune of the internet somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Finally here on download this show. You thought you'd heard the last of him. Donald Trump is trying to sue to get access to his Twitter account. Canal. What's he doing?
2: Yep, he wants back in, even though just a few months ago, he said it was overrated and old and no one cared about it anymore. But he's looking to get back in because he misses his social media pulpit.
1: Has he got a leg to stand on, Amanda? No. (laughs) I'm obviously not an expert in US law, but this whole thing seems like Trump just throwing a temper tantrum, as he is known to do, and because he's a wealthy former president. (laughs) And yeah, because he's a wealthy former president, we all have to hear about it. What
0: is his actual defence, Amanda?
1: Well, he's seeking a preliminary injunction trying to force Twitter to let him back on the platform, and he's arguing that them banning him is a violation not only of his First Amendment rights, but also Florida's laws against deceptive and unfair trade practices and a new social media law in Florida, which was first proposed shortly after Trump was banned from a lot of social media platforms in January. So Trump is basically throwing a lot of stuff at the wall here. From what I understand, one of the laws he is trying to rely on isn't even in effect right now. So the Stop Social Media Censorship Act was signed by Florida's governor in May, and it bans large social media platforms from knowingly deplatforming politicians and potentially imposes huge fines if they do. But it was blocked by a federal judge in July because it violated free speech laws, specifically the free speech of big tech companies, And the act also violated Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which allows platforms to moderate their content.
0: Undeniably, Donald Trump broke actual terms of service on on Mm -hmm. a number of these cases. So there's an argument there. But I guess when it becomes enmeshed with a very American concept of free speech,
2: things get kind of complicated, right, Canal? Yes and no, because... To me, this this lawsuit makes no sense because just because you have free speech, all that means is like government cannot arrest you for saying uh, anything that you say. But that doesn't mean that we all have to listen to your nonsense and the misinformation you're spreading or host it while you do it. So for the most part, this particular uh law the florida law that we're uh, talking about the social media free speech bill is currently being blocked ironically for violating free speech laws so (laughs) the whole thing is hilarious right and i kid you not this law is so ludicrous that it includes an exemption for companies that operate theme parks in florida why disneyland disney plus So essentially, Disney Plus wants an exemption to not be included in this just in case they want to control what content goes on their platform or not. And so it's insane to me that a state law will get passed around free speech and will include an exemption that's so obviously and blatantly specific as preferential treatment for a single corporation what matters here is like what the law allows people to do. So the laws will allow individuals or companies or candidates to sue corporations that they believe are violating their social media free speech, right? So they're either removing them for the platform for violation of terms of service or any of any of that. And the fines that are issued here uh, for a local candidate is something like $25,000. But for a state run candidate, that's $250,000. So you can imagine for a company like Twitter, Facebook, Google, Netflix, if they get sued, because people, anyone can sue now, if they get sued, they have to expend legal fees to kind of fight those lawsuits. Disney owns Disneyland in Florida, and Disney also owns a lot of studios in Florida. And that is a significant portion of Florida's tax revenue. And Disney Plus doesn't want anything to do with this. And so this is clearly a blatant carve out for the benefit of a single corporation that has long ties to
1: Florida. So what Trump argues is that Twitter worked with the government to deplatform him and that Twitter is basically acting at the behest of the government in kicking him off. That's how he's arguing this is a violation of his free speech.
0: All right. Well, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. That is all we've got time for on the program today. Amanda Yo, one of the hosts of Queens of the Drone Age podcast. Thanks so much for
1: coming and doing Download This Show. Thanks for having me. It was fun.
0: And Canal Calro, the founder and CEO at Eugene. Thank you so much, Canal. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. And if you enjoyed the program, make sure you leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to encounter us on, and I will catch you next week. My name is Mark Fennell, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download
1: This Show.